Welcome to another episode of Diving Deep with Fahad. Uh, today's topic, we want to talk about COVID-19. COVID-19 has changed the world in so many ways, in so many aspects, from people doing their jobs remotely, school being virtually, and the concept of social distancing. And the world has changed significantly since March, since COVID-19 spread it around the world. Frontline healthcare workers, especially, it has been extremely hard and overwhelming for frontline healthcare workers. Today, we're going to talk to a frontline healthcare worker who has seen the first hands of COVID-19. How has it changed the world around him? What has he experienced? And what are his suggestions how to stay safe during these challenging times? Dr. Muhammad Yifad Chowdhury, it's a pleasure to have you. Hello. Pleasure to have, a pleasure to meet you guys as well. Um, remotely, of course. Uh, right. Um, so, uh, as a frontline healthcare worker, what are the some of the uh, effects you've seen about this pandemic? Some of the negative effects. So, some of the negative effects that I've seen um, with COVID nineteen. So, firstly, um, I'd like to say that I'm based in the UK. So, anything I do say is sort of based on the information that we have here and my mm-hmm. first-hand experience. Um, spending time in the hospitals here so i myself was directly working on the on the covid 19 ward our coronavirus ward in one of the hospitals when when it all started um and i think currently you know as well that in the uk it's, uh, it's one of the worst countries in in europe actually for the coronavirus cases and it's again on the rise um coming back to your question of some of the negative things that we've seen i mean the negative things we saw differed from on a sort of timeline perspective. So initially when we didn't know much about uh, coronavirus as such, we didn't know, we didn't have much research behind the virus itself and how it affected people. I think some of the negative things, the worst things that we were seeing, of course, was death. And death was predominantly seen earlier on in the elderly patients where because of their weakened immune systems through age, um, that unfortunately were affected. Um, we ourselves as doctors and you know working on the front line of uh, trying to combat this sort of silent killer, we didn't really have much information as to how best we could treat our patients. And a lot of the time it was just supportive care, meaning you know if their oxygen saturations were down, we would give oxygen and keep them hydrated through intravenous fluids and so on. So we didn't really have um, protocols in place to treat these patients. So, I mean, the worst thing that we saw, of course, was was death and a lot mm-hmm. of it in the initial period. And then, you know, throughout the months, throughout the weeks, we, we did work hard to try and figure out and identify trends of how patient symptoms um, came about and sort of what days um, after onset of symptoms people were deteriorating versus improving and trying to sort of plot some kind of protocol as to um, work out how we can best treat these patients. And, um, you know, we did see... Like I said, we saw death quite a lot. We saw people um, who declined in sort of their physical ability, their health, but then they did recover. So those who recovered, recovered well. Um, and it was either a case of either you die or you recover and you're out of the hospital and, and back to normal self. So um, really the negative impacts we saw was, yeah, was death and, you know, people being left without parents and grandparents and so on and so forth. Right, it's it's very scary. I mean, death is of course one of the scariest things, and it's the most I can imagine just seeing that just daily. That that's really difficult. Um, on top of that, you know, one of the one of the things I've noticed that has significantly changed 
during uh, COVID-19. Was the, uh, um, again, as a doctor, do you believe there's a lot of misinformation within the news media with COVID-19, what you should, shouldn't do? And what are your suggestions how to stay safe during the coronavirus pandemic? Because, you know, we can, we, we see it a lot in the media and a lot of people are panicked because of coronavirus. And the, I don't know how it is in the UK, but Americans in general, Americans are really panicked. There's a study that showed 8 out of 10 Americans are just scared because they don't know what's going to happen, you know, with COVID. And if COVID, if there's a vaccine coming on in the way, and will uh, coronavirus being a thing, be a thing of the past? Um, so what are your uh, suggestions on how to stay safe during COVID mm-hmm. and uh, how to keep your, you know, how to keep your health to the best of its ability during the COVID-19 pandemic? So <clears throat> I think it's important to have sort of public and patient education in this because um, you have to appreciate that to understand how to stay safe, you need to understand what the virus itself is and how it's being spread primarily. Okay, so the disease itself, you know, it spreads most often when people are physically close, which is why we implemented this whole idea of social distancing. And the reason why there was a two meter sort of um, parameter that was put into place is because this disease spreads um, through aerosols, so droplets. And so let's say someone coughed, you know, we cough and the droplet is expelled from your mouth. The idea is that it would drop about one meter away from you. And so thereby giving the extra meter as a safe distance, so the two meter parameter overall, um, you know, we're, we're giving people a safe um, proximity to those who may or may not have the virus itself. Um, and so that's one way in which we can um, adhere to, you know, these protocols of social distancing and making sure that we're safe, not just for ourselves, but for our loved ones as well. So other ways that we've found that it can spread isn't just through, um, you know, aerosol droplet formation it can also spread um through touch for example someone has um expelled this aerosol is dropped onto a surface it just takes a couple of hours for it to to die and so if you've picked that up off the surface onto your hands and then you know you rub your nose and things like that um, that it can spread through through that way as well and so it's highly important that we um, you know, um, wash our hands, that we have a great deal of um, hygiene. We focus a lot on hygiene and cleanliness um, because ultimately that's what, what will um, save lives. I mean, what people say is prevention is better than cure. And at this moment in time, we don't really have a cure for um, coronavirus, unfortunately. So it's all about prevention. So things like hand washing, face coverings um, to protect yourself and to protect others. And the social distancing really are the main uh, modalities in which we can um, keep ourselves and uh, people around us safe, to be honest. Um, there was right. another question that you touched on, um, if I may uh, go back to that, is about social media and I think the news and right. ne- negative propaganda and stuff. I mean, of course, in the news, you see a lot of the time that it, there are negative things, there are positive things, but ultimately, news is controlled by people people higher up, okay, and it's a it's a thing that is controlled by men essentially and what that means is um you can put anything you want in the news to suit a certain agenda now with things like the coronavirus i mean yes there are um people speculate that okay well is this part of a bigger propaganda whether that's to do with china or to do with america or whatever um i think personally it's not something that we should look into that much 
because we as common folks as doctors as other people who are you know fighting this thing on a personal level through social distancing and keeping our families safe as well as in hospitals at the front line of trying to provide good health care it's not something that affects us too much the news i mean news is usually very negative it's not something that we can control as such um you know well, of course we can campaign and things like that but i think it's important to know that focus on Focus, focus on, on what we can with. control exactly focus on things that right. we can actually make an impact on on a personal and commute and like a societal level and then work around those things as opposed to thinking oh is this you know is this propaganda or is this um part of a bigger picture that's that's personally mm-hmm. how i see it to be honest so ignore the negativity that's going on on social media and in the news that's a very um that's very that's very great because when you think about it you know people are, are panicked they're scared and you know as doctors you know you guys providing the frontline healthcare care and you know um going on tv you know spreading the fact stating the facts if i may excuse me mm-hmm. stating the facts about coronavirus um it's very admirable because you know the public needs to be educated about how the virus is spread and you know what you can do to stay safe because as of right now we do not have a cure for coronavirus and i hope okay. a cure yeah a cure comes out. Um, and, and, and this pandemic has affected so many people in so many ways. It's not just in one way. I mean, it's just in so many ways, especially um, the mental health toll. I mean, uh, do you, have you seen your fellow uh, doctors, you know, experiencing signs of like overwhelmness or anxiety or a little bit of depression when they see the patients in the most critical stages they are? And, um, even seeing patients die? I mean, um, to be very honest, Fahad, the, the truth of being a doctor is that, um, unfortunately, death and morbidities mm-hmm. are all part of our job. So a lot of the time, you know, we become accustomed to, unfortunately, seeing patients um, decline pretty rapidly and, and pass away. But we do try and, you know, keep a, an emotional um, distance from patients so as not to get emotionally attached. But right. of course... We, we treat we try our best to treat them at a humane level at a human level and you know completely holistic approach so we do see them as humans rather than a disease or a diagnosis so of course there is a, a great deal of you know emotional attachment still there despite us trying to be resilient and you know keep that sort of uh, mental space to to then not let it affect us now coming back to your point um i would say that normally working as a doctor is stressful as um there's a great deal of anxiety and in many cases depression as well and that could simply be due to you know long working hours or just the nature of the job itself now pertaining to covid-19 in particular um i would say that there was a complete change up of the medical care provided no one knew what was going on i mean like i said i was um i was deployed onto the covid ward in fact my ward was turned into a coronavirus sort of infectious diseases ward um, and we had to manage patients from from day one and we had no idea what we were doing apart from providing the supportive care that i mentioned earlier on in in in, in this podcast um right and so yes there was a great deal of um i would say stress because we had no idea what was going on we every day we were fighting to sort of protect ourselves as well in terms of the protection that we wear when we um, consult with the patients 
So there was a great deal of stress, as in policies kept changing day by day, two, three times a, a day as well, um, by sort of the infectious diseases department. And we didn't know what to wear in terms of our personal protection, um, the equipment that we wear, things like face masks, gloves, um, aprons and things like that. So there was a great deal of stress because we were trying to protect ourselves as well, first and foremost, whilst still being giving the patients a safe environment to recover, to be treated um, as well. So, yes, there was a great deal of stress. There was a stress from protecting ourselves and not knowing how to do that in the best of ways. There was stress mm -hmm. from an unknown, you know, silent killer that's come literally into our neighborhood and we, we don't know how to best combat it. And so, right. yeah, of course, um, a lot of people... And there was a lot of stress from sort of career progression as well, because if you can imagine, certain people may have wanted to pursue a particular specialty in the form of cardiology, let's say, going towards heart medicine. And mm -hmm. because of the pandemic and the outbreak, they were deployed to elsewhere, like, for example, the COVID ward. And so they were no longer working in something that they were passionate about, for example, cardiology. And now they were having to deal with patients that they had nothing, they had no idea or information. They've never studied it at medical school or anything like that. So there was stress from multiple um, different avenues. There was stress from people higher up. There was stress from the virus itself. There was just... There was a great deal of stress, I won't lie. But I think mm -hmm. then again, it comes back to the mindset because personally, I found it quite exciting. Um, wow, being a doctor to save people's lives in a unique approach. That's very impressive. Yeah, because for me, it was a thing of you're at the front line, um, you're at the forefront of combating a disease that you know nothing about. And so you're, you are the trendsetter, so to say, in terms of the healthcare that you can provide. So picking up the trends for patients' symptoms, the timeline of the virus and how it affects people and, you know, things like that. And so not knowing anything, but still the excitement of, oh, actually, we don't know anything, but we are the people who will do the research to find out what's going on. That was quite uh, an exciting thing, actually, um, despite the overall um, negativity that's associated with COVID-19 and how it impacted the pe people so far. Right, because the reason why you know, I asked that question, because um, it was on the news, I don't know if you saw it too, but a New York doctor mm -hmm. was really overwhelmed and he ended up committing suicide because um, he's part of the COVID ward. And that was the reason why that I went to that question, because uh, as doctors, you know, it's a very stressful job. I can only imagine it's very stressful. And you guys are saving people's lives on a daily basis. On top mm -hmm. of that, there's a silent killer. And, from, and on top of that... Do you think people are scared from whether they have a heart problem to go and get medical care because of the COVID, because of the because of coronavirus because there's a silent killer and that's a the hospitals are a COVID hotspot. Um, right. So people like die because they can't they can't they don't want to so, go to the hospital because they have a heart attack. Yes. So I mean I mean of course. So th this was a problem that we were facing. Um. Firstly, to touch on the point that you mentioned about the the doctor who unfortunately committed suicide now. I've personally, I've not read that report, so I can't really comment on his or her um, personal circumstances. But mm -hmm. I mean, unfortunately, suicide and sort of mental health um, problems are a great deal, um, is a great problem rather within the healthcare sector, in the UK at least. Um, you know, medical students and dental students uh, are known to um, be notorious in terms of um, having mental health issues and unfortunately committing suicide and that comes from you know the stresses involved with the studying and the, and the pressures that you have of deadlines and so on and so forth and that does um, re reflect further into sort of medical training when you do become doctors as well sometimes you know you are pressed 
to meet certain deadlines whilst working at the same time and sitting exams and so on and so forth. So it can build up, um, the stress can build up for a lot of people. So, um, I mean, again, I don't know if um, that suicide was um, related to COVID-19 itself and working right. on that board versus the general stress of being a doctor. Um, mm -hmm. So now moving forward on to, to the other point that you mentioned about, you know, people who have other comorbidities such as heart conditions and lung conditions, um, were they reluctant to come into hospital? Because again, as you mentioned, COVID, it's hospitals were a COVID-19 hotspot. So the answer is yes, um, there were. Um, initially, um, hospitals were overwhelmed by the amount of COVID-19 patients that we had, especially when we peaked in um, April around Easter time. Um, we had so, so many COVID uh, patients in here that everyone was reluctant to come in uh, with heart conditions, with lung conditions, with absolutely anything. People were reluctant to come in um, because they thought, well, I haven't got COVID-19. I've just been sat around home. I've not had any contact with any outsiders. So I'm probably best being at home. So unfortunately, yes, we did see a lot of deaths um, occurring from normal come up. Um, normal patients by normal i mean you know ones like with heart conditions and lung conditions oh yeah because I mean, the non-covid patients um, because you guys are already in the er you guys get patients every day from non-covid related issues now when the covid 19 pandemic decided to come uh you know that's another thing that people are scared to seek healthcare treatment because they're afraid of getting covid 19 exactly and you know we did we did we did try our best to sort of um how do I put it, to try and triage the patients differently. So we had like red zones where anyone who had a cough, fever, a temperature, those sort of things, the COVID symptoms would ultimately um, go into the red zone initially for admission and assessment. Whereas those who came in, let's say, with chest pain or something completely non-COVID related would be seen in the green zone where they would then be assessed properly in a non-COVID sort of manner. Although still we would do the COVID swap just for safety precautions. And we were still mm -hmm. treating, you know, normal patients. But yes, you're right. Um, the frequency and the number of people that attended with normal routine sort of medical problems did drop off um, and did reduce by a fair amount. And that was also evidence when the coronavirus, we peaked in April, then we did start coming down and we, we were able to combat this disease better. And then we saw another influx of patients, but that wasn't a COVID influx. It was more all the routine patients that we normally see coming in, i.e. ones with heart problems, lung problems, all sorts of problems. And they were coming in now because they felt safer to come in, um, mm -hmm. pertaining to, uh, you know, hospitals being a, a COVID-19 hotspot. And again, you know, there was some research that was um, published here in the UK saying that dexamethasone, which is um, steroids, helped patients with COVID-19 where other things weren't helping. So, you know, they're the public were reassured that there is some progression in terms of treatment that is helping patients. And so um, even if they did catch COVID-19, as one of my patients said, um, you know, he was like, well, I'll just take the storage that, that they're talking about on the news. So I think, yes, news does impact the mentality and um, the psyche of the public and the patients and mm -hmm. whatnot. And ultimately, um, you know, to answer your question, Yes, unfortunately, we lost a lot of patients through them not seeking medical advice and healthcare um, because of the fear of catching COVID. Um, and yeah, so we did, we did, we did see them not coming in, and then there was a, a huge influx of those as well after right. the initial peak of COVID nineteen. 
right? And it's very scary. Um, it still is very scary. Now, I want to talk about treatment and some of the progressions. Um, what are some of the treat? Uh, let's talk about the steroid you talked about. Um, and what were the recovery right. statistics from your patients recovering from COVID nineteen? So, what happened was we. I was part of a uh, a research trial um, mm-hmm. based across multiple hospitals, and it was led by the University of Oxford, based in the UK. And we were comparing multiple um, arms of treatments, let's put it that way. So we were comparing things like steroids, antivirals, not doing anything to see if patients recovered themselves, um, et cetera, et cetera. So we were, we, we were looking at a few different um medication options let's let's put it that way and you know we're randomizing patients based on their comorbidities and health risks and things into into these into these groups and um when the results came in it was found that dexamethasone which is the steroids was the only one that had a noticeably um positive impact on patient um patients who were positive for COVID-19. So this wasn't for those who were suspected to have COVID-19. Right. This was for those who, who actually had the condition. And, you know, they were getting worse in the sense that they needed um, to go to intensive care unit, for example, for a higher level of um, treatment and management. Um, so that was the only only positive outcome, really, that had to come out from, from, from that. Um, and have you used it on your patients? We have so literally since since um, it was published in the news um, that oh we've done this trial um, dexamethasone which is a steroid is um, useful in these patients. I think if we were unsure about a patient from literally the next day onwards, if we were unsure that they could go either towards recovery or they would decline pretty fast because of their numbers and values and all the health parameters in terms of bloods and things, then we mm-hmm. would yeah we would administer dexamethasone for these patients and. Um, I feel like now, a couple of months down the line, it's sort of routine practice. So I've seen now, I've worked across different hospitals here in the UK. And now more and more it's becoming common that from the onset of someone having COVID-19, i.e. their diagnosis, or we highly suspect it, we're giving dexamethasone literally from the onset now to try and better improve their, their recovery. That's, that's great that there's some progress. Um, because... Uh... I did, the goal is to uh, hopefully get a uh, vaccine or a cure. That way, people don't live in fear with, uh, with cr- fear of coronavirus. Um, and right. the healthcare, the health I've, here in America, at least, um, hospitals are still overwhelmed. I mean, do you still experience the same overwhelmingness now as of how it was in April and May? Um, can you still hear me? Sorry. Yeah, uh, yeah sorry. Out, but my I'll speak my my question was um, here in America, yeah. hospitals, especially during the state uh, hotspot states like Florida, Texas, Arizona, hospitals are still overwhelmed, especially yeah. ER regarding COVID patients. Right. Yeah, in the UK, are you guys still experience the same overwhelmingness as of in with April um, and May, or have you guys been able to uh, control control the uh, hospital so, systems so i feel to be honest I, I feel like uk has been okay in terms of controlling it and i do have i would say that we were a bit slow to react to be honest because we we followed mm-hmm. a trend where 
Italy were sort of two weeks ahead of us in time in terms of what was happening with the coronavirus situation. So initially, Italy were the hotspot for coronavirus in, in, in Europe. And then UK was almost sort of second. And whatever was happening in Italy in terms of the numbers, in terms of the rise, that was happening two weeks later in, in, in the UK. And so despite having that sort of warning, um, we were quite slow to, to react and put the measures in place. Now, when it right. did happen, I think on a, uh, on a sort of individual level in terms of the hospitals around the country, we did, um, we did well. We did well to control the numbers and uh, treat the patients well. Uh, like I mentioned, the trial is called the recovery trial for anyone who's interested in, in sort of reading about that. Um, we were part of the recovery trial, which yielded some positive results. And again, those were implemented into, into protocols. And then, yeah, of course, the numbers did drop down to, you know, n- having maybe one or maybe two patients coming in every day, which were suspected of coronavirus. And we were just back down to normal mm-hmm. treatment of patients. But now it's on the rise again. And that's ultimately down to the government relaxing a lot of um, the restrictions. restrictions that we had in terms of the lockdown. So restaurants and things opened up again. Um and and things like that and there was a lot more social interaction um which ultimately led to um people catching the coronavirus and you know a lot of the mm-hmm. time i saw people out and about not keeping the social distancing not having the face masks and things and unfortunately it spread more such that such that here in the uk especially where i live so i live in a place called manchester mm-hmm. and, you know people may um associate sort of manchester united the football team with that and so here, based in Manchester and neighbouring areas like Liverpool, um, the cases have risen. Um, there are debates, there are talks, there's discussions currently going on, literally today, tomorrow, about whether we should implement another lockdown um, for the whole country because the cases are on the rise again. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in, in places that are really bad, for example, some parts of Manchester and Liverpool, they've already gone into lockdown. So... Um, we're sort of back where we were in early March, and um, I feel like we have the capacity now. We have the capability in the hospitals to treat the patients because we sort of now know what we're doing. And also, we have some hospitals which have been opened, but not a single patient has been admitted there. So they're sort of standby hospitals. They're ready if they need to be employed for sort of the overflow of these patients. So, mm-hmm. so we are ready if um, if the numbers keep on rising the, the way they are. We are so trying you guys are prepared. To back. You guys have a strategy. You guys are prepared yes, I, I, strategy. I do feel we're prepared. I do feel like we know what to do. We have a protocol as to how to treat patients, rather multiple protocols depending on the severity of, of, of the symptoms. Because right, here in America, we're still overwhelmed. Mm. And I again, that's why I, I asked that question because... Uh, you know, I want to see what, what's going on across the pond. And that's great that you guys have a strategy. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of that's down to geography as well. Um, America's a big place, much bigger than mm-hmm. the UK. Um, population size is much greater. And also, I feel you guys are a lot more spread out in terms of sort of driving distances. So let's say a normal hospital for some people might be an hour to two hours away, right? And so if they're experiencing some sort of COVID symptoms, they may not want to go into um, hospital until it's sort of too late sort of situation. Whereas here in the UK, the driving distances are much shorter. So accessibility to healthcare um, um, systems, healthcare places like hospitals and GP, which are family medicine sort of community practices, are a lot more readily available um, and accessible. 
And so um, for us in the UK, especially when it's a public healthcare system as well, no one is afraid to seek healthcare um, provisions should they need it. Okay. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's free for the public to go to the hospital to attend ER and have their symptoms checked out, have their bloods and things taken. Whereas because I've, you know, with your private healthcare system, that would put some people off as well. And so I feel like that's why the cases are rising, perhaps, because people are reluctant to go in. They don't want to pay to be seen. Um, In addition to that, um, the driving distances, unfortunately, make it a little bit more inaccessible for some people um, to access that healthcare. Um, So I think it's a combination of things. It's a combination of geography. I'm sure American doctors, um, you know, you guys are world renowned for spearheading research um, for all sorts of things. And um, I'm sure they're working on cures and treatments as well, Um, especially in places like New York, where initially it was the worst out of any state, any place in in America, I'm sure these people have done well to combat a lot of um, um, a lot of COVID nineteen cases. But um, yeah, I feel it's, it's it's a mixture of things to be honest, and um, that's why you know initially we were overwhelmed as well because of the public healthcare as well. You just had everyone flooding, query COVID um, or whether they've got COVID or not. Um, no, we've done well to combat it, and I feel we 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 are prepared should uh, should the numbers rise again like they did previously. Right now, I want to get to you my final question. Sure. And that's regarding the government and restrictions. Um, do you think the government we should be starting to ease the restrictions or still keep it very tight and in the lockdown uh, methods still until we find a, a cure for coronavirus? So, I mean, the short answer is I feel like we need to go back into lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, it's not the ideal situation for, you know, businesses and things like that. Right. But it's in not terms of business, small business owners are really struggling. They're taking a toll. Of course. Uh-huh. Exactly. So, I mean, from a medical point of view, from a health point of view, um, lockdown and sort of strict restrictions are the best way forward because that way you are adhering to social distances, um, social distancing rather, um, in the right manner. You're not encouraged to go out and you know interact with other people apart from certain um um, certain areas of work and so i think i think that's the way we should be going which is why like i said and the government is currently having talks about implementing a complete lockdown again for for the uk and on a smaller level some cities are already under lockdown um so you know i think i think that's that's the way forward because if we relax them we relax the restrictions then I feel like we'll take too many steps backwards and perhaps the the spread of the disease will be out of our hands and we won't be able to control it anymore. All right. Well, I appreciate you coming on the program, Dr. Chowdhury. It was very, um, it was great to have you on. Um, and we, uh, please, uh, that concludes our episode of Diving Deep with Fahada. We're, um, the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, you can catch us on Spotify and uh, Google Podcasts and any pa- uh, podcasting platform you have, including Apple Podcasts. Um, and Dr. Chowley, it's been a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you for having me. Pleasure All to right. be here.